who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Good day, good people. My name is Brad King, and you are listening to the Downtown Riders Jam podcast, which is part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. Max the Dog and I are coming to you from deep inside the jam bunker. We're back after that extra extended week off. We've had a great first week. Some of you know Max the dog caught a touch of cancer, so we've been working with doctors over the break to put him all back together. He's doing okay right now, so we're focusing on that as a good day. On the program, we have the wonderful Simon Stevenson, whose book Set My Heart to Five came out last September. And Simon and I had such a wonderful conversation. He's hilarious. His bio is not going to do him justice. Uh, he's a former Pixar screenwriter, and he's an author based in Los Angeles. This is what they gave me. But I'm telling you, when you hear his story, uh, it's so much more interesting than that one sentence. We'll get to all of that in just a few minutes because, as you know, we have a little business to cover. As you know, we have two shows every week on Monday and Thursday. There's a couple things you can do to help us out here at The Jam. Tell your friends about us. And leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Or you can pop over to Facebook and leave us a review there. Or you can head to www.theridersjam.com and give us a testimonial through our contact page. While you're there, there's a couple other things you can do at the website. We host a regular happy hour with authors, and you can find out all the information about those while you're there. If you are interested in buying the books of anyone who's been on the show, click on that little bookshop link. And two things happen. You support local and independent bookstores around the country when you do that, and we get a little scratch back here. There's also a monthly newsletter you can sign up for where you get book recommendations, reviews, podcast highlights, and happenings around the web. Lastly, you can support the entire Solid Listen network by clicking on our Patreon button. For just a few bucks a month, you get commercial-free episodes of all the shows on the network, special happy hours, and bonus content. 
So it's been a heavy start to 2021. The runoff election, the riot on the Capitol, the impeachment hearings. There's just there's a lot of stuff going on right now. And I know that I've been exhausted the whole time. And I've talked to other people. They're exhausted because there's never a moment that you get to take off. And I know we've been talking a little bit about this on the program in the intros. And I bring this up today because in the course of today's discussion with Simon, we talk about his first book, Let Not the Waves of the Sea, which is about his brother and his brother's girlfriend who were both killed in the tsunami in Thailand in 2004. Simon was in medical school at the time, and a large part of this discussion that you're going to hear today is about this back and forth between wanting to be a writer and doing this work in medical school. And he eventually leaves medical school to go to Thailand after his brother is killed, and he doesn't really know why. He just wants to be there, and he's trying to figure out ways to do something, and he doesn't know what to do, and you know, he sort of realizes that people don't really need him there because the authorities on the ground have things covered. But this is an experience that he goes through, and he stays down there for a while, and I don't want to spoil the whole interview, but at a certain point, he doesn't mean to write this book, but the book emerges from this grief and this trauma, and that is what frees him to begin reestablishing his writing career and leaving medicine and, and doing this vocation that he wants to do, which is be a writer. And it's so profound, it, and, and I was so touched by the conversation, but I also felt it very deeply. If you've listened to the program, you've heard me, both in intros and through the interviews, talk about being in trauma therapy and the importance of that for me to clear things out of my past or begin to at least come to grips with them and try to face both that trauma and the ways in which that trauma was then expressed by me out into the world. And it's so important for us to talk about these things now because as I watched the riot happen on the Capitol, and I had to turn it off, the anger and vitriol that I saw there, the absolute lack of humanity in the faces of the people who were storming the Capitol, who were beating cops, who were looking for blood, and I know this is a very simplistic way to look at this, but all I could think of was these are people that have deep pain and trauma and have no idea how to deal with it. And one of the things that we know, particularly in white men, is that if we don't figure out ways, and by we I mean other white men helping those white men, if we don't figure out ways to help them both understand that it's okay to look at your trauma and have it and acknowledge it and seek help for that, it's going to come out in these other ways. And this is not an excuse. This is not trying to say, like, oh, poor them. Not at all. Everybody has choices to make, right? The things in my life I had choices to make, and the fact that I didn't get therapy for as long as I did mean my life unfolded the way that it did. And we can certainly look at patriarchal structures and say, yes, it also impacts me. All of that's true. But when you're at the sort of top of the asshole food chain, it is it, it is so important for you to be the one that's making the step to fix that. You can't have other people making you fix that. That's not how it works. And so re-listening to my conversation with Simon today, 
at a certain point, and I posted this on Instagram, so you can go see the whole quote there, or you can just listen to the interview and you'll hear it. You know, at one point he says, basically, you know, I started writing about this trauma and didn't really mean to publish it, and then realized that it was an exorcism of sorts, that he needed to process through that trauma before he could write other things, right? Like, he couldn't get to the writing part of his life until he processed through writing this other trauma that had happened. And that just struck me so deeply and personally because, I mean, I've mentioned on the show before, which I'm going to say a million times during this intro, that my therapist flat out told me if it wasn't for writing, she was pretty sure I would have killed myself, to which I have always said that's 100% true Uh, because I know the precipices that I have been upon um, and I know what got me out of them. And it was the ability to process through emotion, even though I didn't know that's what it was happening, by putting it somewhere else. And in my deepest, darkest moments, being able to process through what was happening so that it, one, didn't spill out on the world, and two, didn't get focused on, you know, me, and that it was on the page. And it was through that that got me into therapy where I could then begin to do the work. Because as Allison Wood said on the program, you know, months ago, when she was talking about her memoir, writing a book isn't therapy. It's not therapeutic. Therapy is therapy. But sometimes you have to get that first story out so you can get to that other place. And I just thought that was so profound. Listening to his interview today, you're going to hear, as always, lots of laughing, gallows humor, us sort of, you know, laughing at things that may feel like things that you shouldn't be laughing at. But there, it's because we are in this place where we're on the other side of this thing. And when you get to the other side, and all of you know this, everybody out there listening has gotten through the other side of something and has looked back and just thought, I don't know how I got through that. And then you see what other people go through, and it's you know there but for the grace of God go I. And you can recognize that trauma in other people because you've been through that barrier. And so the events of the beginning of 2021 and re-listening to this thing with Simon, I've just once again been reminded of the power of having a place to put this trauma and to put the feelings and, and to put the things that we go through in a place, not to fix them, but so that you can go get the help that you need. And whatever that looks like, for me, it's therapy. And out of that, I'm now sort of in that sort of post trauma healing phase of things where I'm trying to get back to writing. I'm trying to get where Simon is now, which is the ability to now delve back into himself and write. And I don't mean to connect it to the Capitol because there's so many fucked up things about that that, you know, I'm not equipped to begin to detail all the psychological things that made that happen and and what it, you know, what is right and what is wrong. Like most Americans, I watched that and just thought, I don't care to understand that. All I know is that's evil and wrong, and that needs to be extinguished in our society. We need to put these people in jail, all of that stuff. I had all the same feelings that everybody else had. But there was this other part of me that also said, I recognize that trauma. And being on the other side, not that I was ever that bad. I was not even close to that bad. But I recognized that had I not fixed it, that the rage and anger would have continued to come out in ways that would have been wholly destructive. That's terrifying to me, but also a reminder, again, having listened to Simon and having listened to our conversation, how much work it is for 
white dudes like me who have gone through this stuff. It's part of the reason I moved back to Appalachia. It's part of the reason I'm going to be teaching writing classes to young teenagers, you know, workshops, you know, working through right Pittsburgh is because I understand that you have to first exercise those demons in some way. They have to go somewhere so that you can begin to recognize that you need help and not just allow that anger and rage to fester in yourself. That is a heavy as fuck beginning to this program. For an interview that is going to be largely full of goofy laughing, even though we talk about some heavy stuff at the beginning. But it just seemed, you know, I schedule these things sort of without thinking about what's happening in the world. I schedule them, you know, based on some other things that I think are important to, uh, to do in terms of presenting this stuff. But as I listened to this today, while well, I had the impeachment hearings on, you know, on mute and just watching, and I thought, well, shit, this could not be any more related to what's going on. So that's what you're in for today. It sounds heavy. It is not. This is the heaviest part of the program. I appreciate you sitting through it. You've made it to the other side. We're now in the good place. But without further ado, here is my conversation with Simon Stevenson. Uh, so I am normally today. We're actually I'm, I'm up north. I'm in um, a place called Guerneville, which is up um, sort of north of San Francisco. In I don't know if it's the wine country. I think we're on the western edge of the wine country, somewhere between the wine country and like Sonoma-ish, kind yeah, of yeah. A, a bit a bit west of there. Yeah. What are you doing up there? Uh, we are just having a little break. We um, uh, we're, we're doing a sort of a very careful no contact break. So 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 we got tested before we left and uh we're, we're doing uh we've bought our bicycles and we're planning to have no human contact and just uh um cycle around the back roads of of sonoma um uh for a much needed uh, like like i haven't left los angeles since january and it's been a long a long time that's the thing right like you don't think that you need a vacation from being locked in the house but you absolutely need a vacation from being locked yeah. in the house yeah uh, absolutely it's, it's my girlfriend's birthday this week and we just thought that like this is, you know, this, this is the moment, and and it's it's all in accordance with the California regulations, and and we're being careful. So it's, it still felt strange, like you know, driving through, driving up the five there, and and of course the five as ever is is just completely full, like like everyone else seems to be going on vacation as well. So, <laughs> yeah. so you're in LA. Where are you originally from? So I'm from Scotland. Um, I'm from Scotland and I've had stopovers in uh, London, really. And then I came to America about uh, 2013, so about seven years ago. And I've been mainly in Los Angeles. I had a year or two in the Bay Area, but always always this side, always, always California. So what part of Scotland? Uh, Edinburgh is where I'm from. Gotcha. And then I went to college in our other city, which is or one of our, our other main city, which is yep. Glasgow. Um, so, so yeah, it's a, it, it's, it's a pr pretty small country though. So it's all, it's all basically the same place. Right? Yeah, yeah. I spent a lot of time over in London and like, I have a lot of friends that are from Scotland. So great. Great. Uh, so I'm prepared. So do you have brothers and sisters or was it just you? Um, so I, so it, a little bit complicated. My, um, my brother that my, my, my brother has the same parents as me. We, we lost him in the, in the tsunami in Thailand in 2004. Um, and actually that was, um, my first book was about that. I wrote a memoir about the loss of my brother. And well, it's one of those sort of sprawling memoirs, you know, where, where it's not just about that one thing, but it's also he was he was in Thailand and I spent a lot of time in Thailand, you know, 
afterwards coming to terms with with what had happened and and the science of it like you know if you grow up in scotland you don't really know what a tsunami is we certainly don't have them um so uh that was kind of um that book was 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 about that journey of of, of losing my brother and, and then my my dad has remarried and he has uh other children so so i have plenty of um half siblings but yeah 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 yeah. My, Were you my, guys, my, did my, you guys grow up around each other or did he like when you uh, yeah, the, the, the half siblings are quite a lot younger. So, so, so the gotcha. oldest one is I think twenty seven, and I'm oh, forty two. Wow. So, so that you know, you know that they're, they're they're lovely humans, but we haven't we didn't grow up together in the way that you know my brother who was a year older than me were sort of inseparable. To yeah. Our, to our youth. yeah. That, so, what were you guys like as kids? Like, what did you? What were you? Were you like bookie uh, or party or troublemaker? Yeah, we you were troublemakers. <laughs> I I was kind of a goody two shoes. My my brother was a bit more. You, you know, he was older. So he was a year older, so he was the one that was sort of, you know, would push at the boundaries a little bit, and I would just trudge along behind. You know, you know, and that sort of that dynamic I think continued. You, you know, I think that's you know, I know twins that one of them's born nine minutes before the other you know and they're yeah. now 40 years old and they say you know this one is still nine minutes older than me it's still yeah still it's, very important it's so interesting and i don't know if this is geographic but generally in america older siblings tend to be the rule followers and it's the oh. younger siblings that tend to be the ones because the parents are like the first parent the first kid that shows up you know the parents are like yeah we gotta yeah and then the sure. second one shows up and they're like yeah <laughs> yeah, that I mean, I mean that that's so interesting, and that does make kind of more sense. I think I mean maybe like my brother was just always bolder and braver. Like I was kind of terrified of everything, <laughs> you know. So 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 I don't think I, I don't think I can claim that I was a rule follower out of some innate goodness of my heart. I think I was just too scared of you know consequence or or, or doing something wrong. <laughs> Yeah. So what we like when you got to like high school, like what like what were you, what did you do as a kid? Like were you in theater? Did you play sports or did you sort of do it all? Yeah, yeah. I was so, so, so I was I guess the big thing for me in high school was I was I was born in 1978, so um 1991, which was the release of uh, of Nirvana's Nevermind, <laughs> was a seminal moment for me. So um <laughs> And, and basically, what I did in high school, I did grunge. That was my thing. I was I was into grunge, and uh, you know, so I wore the I wore the plaid shirts, and yeah. you know, I played in a band, and um, that was kind of that that like like even way like you, you know years later. So 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 by of course you know 1996, where I think Britpop in the UK started in 1993 and 1994, and Blur and Oasis were the the biggest bands in the universe yeah. at that point, and it was this glorious time. And I, I just wanted none of that. I, I, I was like, no, this is all terrible. You guys, grunge. Remember, grunge, grunge was the thing, <laughs> and and I just persisted in that for for you, you know far far too long. I went off to university wearing my plaid shirts with my with with, with with my long hair when you know the world had the world had moved on. And uh, um, I think that can happen, though, isn't it? It, 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 it like that. I remember seeing that video for the first time. You, you know, you remember the video yeah. of like it's in that sort of that dusty kind of pet rally, and just thinking, what the heck is this? I, I, I have no idea what this is, but this is my thing. This is this is this is what I want. Yeah. What do you play? I'm guessing bass. 
Uh, so bass would, would, would have been a way after fit because I'm not naturally musically talented, but it was grunge, so it didn't necessarily matter. Um, so, 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 yeah, I, I, played, I played the regular guitar, but definitely near... I mean, I guess in grunge music, they didn't have... You know, there was no such thing as a lead guitarist because no yeah. one could do that anyway. And uh, um, so, 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 yeah, just one of uh, one, one more, one more rhythm guitarist. There's actually Radiohead, who of course are incredible musicians and shouldn't be tarred with the, with the grunge butt brush. But they have one of their early songs. You know, it's called you know anyone can play guitar, and it says you know there's five of us in this band and anyone can play guitar, and it's a true, it's a, a true story. So how did, did you just, were you like into music before that? Or was that just like a lightning bolt that hit you when you're like, oh shit, this is my thing? That, 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 that was a pretty lightning bolt. That, that, that was, I, I wasn't really, um, I mean, I'm, try, I'm trying to think what was around before that. I think like, I always, I it was always Phil Collins. Me. What was around before that was Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, well they, they, that, that's right. Because there was a, I don't know if you ever saw it, but there was a brilliant documentary called 1991, the year that punk broke. Which, which was and it was about this tour that they all did, like Nirvana and Sonic Youth and and, and all of those people. And, and I think you, you're absolutely right that there was a sort of sense of um, it was a bit like as because because I guess punk was the thing that came along and slayed prog, prog rock, right? Yeah. And I think you're right that, that we, we had drifted back into this heavily manufactured kind of universe, and yeah, and this was something some something a bit different. Yeah. And I mean, Phil Collins is great; like he's great. But like all of a sudden, this other—I had friends at Sub Pop. I was at Wired when all that stuff was wow. happening. Brilliant, yeah. And so, you know, I'm not really a music guy, which always angers my friends who are music people. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you know, like I met Chris Novoselic and um, oh wow, and Dave at Bumbershoot after Kurt Cobain had killed himself. They, yep. they happened to be at a Reverend Horton Heat show and I was there doing some writing and yeah. they were just standing next to me. Like they were just there <sighs> processing through, you know. Sure, yeah. Seattle and, you know, Bumber shoots the big festival up there. And I, you know, I was a reporter, so I just said hi and, you know, sorry. Yeah. It sort of got out of their way because it was clear they sure. were, just wanted to enjoy it. But when I tell my friends, like, yeah, I don't really like music, but yeah, my friends were at Sub Pop yeah. when, yeah, when all that <laughs> stuff was happening. You know? <laughs> and it was, it really was a, uh, I'm a Pearl Jam guy. So, well, like, great. There you go. Yeah. You know, like I, we, the Gen X people have the eternal. Sure. Yeah. So you, you have your played shirts in, in, in your cupboard somewhere as well. Yes. And, and Jeremy, yep, you know, when, that, when, when Jeremy came out, I was just like, I think what, what I gravitated to them is that they had more of that 70s story rock. Like yeah. they're, they're, they, they were, I mean, not that they were Jim Croce, but like they had that, like, here's going to be a five minute story in lyrical form as opposed to yeah. Nirvana, which was really yeah. like metaphorical and, you know, sort of more like punk aesthetic, more coming at you yeah. with a feeling. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. I think I always think of Pearl Jam as, you know, like possibly like more musically, you know, technically accomplished in a way, right? In, in, in terms of, you know, they probably, they did have a lead guitarist who, you know. <laughs> Yeah, like their stuff with Neil Young and when they did the Dead Man Walking soundtrack where they were doing, yeah. uh, the, the, you know, with the Middle Eastern band, I was just like, man, that's, you know, yeah. like that's just sort of the stuff that I think because I was a writer, I gravitated to the fact that the lyrics were telling a story and sure. not a metaphorical story. They, they were literally yeah. telling a story. Yeah. See, see that that's interesting because because I'm I think I'm normally I'm definitely normally like 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 a lyrics person. I'm I'm fairly tone deaf, and when <laughs> what, like like the things that I like in music do tend to be lyrics. And 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 I always like 
you know, I, I, I seem to pick up lyrics and remember them, and I'm always sort of mentioning them to people, and people saying, oh, I had no idea that was what that song, you know, it's, that's, <laughs> right. that's my favorite song, and I've listened to it a thousand times, but I didn't, I don't care about the lyrics. And I'm like, how can you, how can you not care about the lyrics, you know, because there's just, there's noise, and then there's poetry on top, and, <laughs> the, you know, the poetry's the thing, right? Yeah, but that is not the case, I think, for most people. Exactly, exactly. One of my favorite groups, and this is like, it's such a goofy thing, they're, uh, OK Go, that everybody knows for their funny videos that they do. Yep. Mm -hmm. I own all of their music. And if you listen to their lyrics, their lyrics are, they do the thing that I love the most. It's this story. They're really dark, layered onto these poppy things. Like their Brilliant. best songs yep. are just, you know, they sing a song uh, from the perspective of a spider. Like it's just like oh wow oh, yeah. I, need, I need to I need to find that wow yeah. some uh, some first person voice anthropomorphism <laughs> yeah. rock yeah I, I don't uh, know if this is the name but the, one of the lyrics is hello my treacherous friend right wow so, yeah it's it's amazing uh, yeah. and it, it, that like so I don't listen to a lot of music but the music that I tend to listen to tends to be that you, there's sort of a through line right like yeah you can yeah. go, even I mean even from like James Brown payback which is one of my favorite songs right. Comes out of that. So you do this. So you're in a band. You're in college. Like, are like, what do you go to college for? So, so, the, 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 so this is the this is the weird bit. This is where my story gets weird. Is um, uh, so I went to medical school, and the um, uh, the thing the thing about that I have to sort of slightly clarify this for an American audience <laughs> is medical school in the UK and Europe uh, is a bit different in that you go as your undergraduate degree. So in America, you know, you go and study something else. And then, then you go to medical school as, yeah. a, as a postgraduate degree. But in Britain, you go as your undergraduate degree. So what that means is, you know, by the time you're sort of making your choices of what you're going to study in college, it's a bit dependent on what you study in your last years of high school, which means you're essentially making that choice when you're about 15 years old. Wow. You, you know, you're saying, I want to spend the rest of my life being a doctor. And I think that's fine. If you're a mature um, person who probably has doctors in their family and knows what that job entails, um, if you're me and the first series of ER starts on television just at exactly the wrong moment, you know, and you just look at it and say, oh, that, I want to do that. That looks great. I would like to be George Clooney, please. <laughs> like, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Where do I sign up to, to be George Clooney? Um, <laughs> And so, so, so that's what I did. And it was funny because my, my choice was always, you know, it was either study medicine or study English. Like I always loved books and writing and, and, and all of that stuff. And um, my uncle told me that, well, you should study medicine because, you know, you can read books on, on, on your own time and you can write on your own time. I subsequently, of course, realized that he had studied English. So, <laughs> you know, he got to go and have a good time reading the, reading the classics. And I had to go and, you know, dissect cadavers. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, you were their retirement fund. They're like, we made bad choices. He needs to be a doctor to support us. Exactly. It was the mid '90s. No one knew which which way the world was going. Yeah. And uh, um, uh, yeah, there, there probably was quite a quite quite a bit of uh, bit, bit, bit of pragmatism in in, in that choice. Um, so yeah, so, so so that's what I did. But actually, like like I always say that like I don't know if I hadn't done that, I don't know if I'd be a writer now because of course. You know, there's a great joy in kind of not knowing too much about how things work, right? So, 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 so you know, if Nirvana had gone to Berkeley College of Music, right? You, you know, they probably wouldn't have made Nevermind, right? And, and I'm not for a second, you know, 
comparing myself to Nirvana in, in any shape or form. But just, you know, certainly all my friends that were English majors, you know, so many of them began that with the idea of it, they were going to be writers and stuff. And then, you know, you I think you get bogged down in, 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 in the complexity of it. And, and for someone like me, however, you know, I went and, you know, my days were filled with, you know, learning science. But what that meant was that I really felt like I had this... I missed that world of books and words and, and all that stuff. So that was when I really began writing in, in, in earnest. And, uh, you know, I, in I medical school, wrote, in medical school. Yeah. That's and I great. probably wrote more in, in medical school than I have in the rest of my life yeah. put together because, um, I, I got this sort of, um, my, my sort of thing was, I, I, I love short stories like, 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 and particularly the American short story writers. So the Tobias Wolves, the Raymond Carver's, the ones that everyone loves. Um, and, uh, but my sort of training ground for writing was was just entering short story competitions. There was there was there were always so many short story competitions, yeah. and and that was that was just what I did. Was I just anytime I saw a short story competition, I would you know enter. If you could enter three stories, I would enter three stories, and uh, um, and it was such a great training ground because um, you know they all had these ridiculous word limits of two thousand five hundred words or something, and you know you would bash out your five thousand words and they'd be terrible. But but by the time you halved it. It actually wouldn't be. It actually wouldn't be so bad. And I think that was where I sort of realized this thing about editing. Right, that editing is, is just such a crucial thing. That as writers, I think we we have this idea that we're supposed to be geniuses, and everything that comes out of our pens or computers should should just be published straight away. And actually, I think you know so many of the great writers, like Raymond Carver, talking about him, or you know. I think Scott Fitzgerald famously, you know, wrote double or, or you know, basically always imagined he would cut 50% of, of, of what he wrote. I have a handwritten copy of Gatsby here. It's a replica. And it has, yeah, yeah, and it has, like, he just writes new chapters in the back and all of his notes and stuff are in there. It's one of the, it's what, I know, right? How amazing. Wow. Yeah. It was yeah. uh, uh, an ex-girlfriend got it to me for Christmas. Uh, and I've told people it's in my 48 years because Gatsby is I learned I've told this a million times I've, I learned to write by sitting in a coffee shop and, and copying Gatsby handwritten Brilliant. into a notebook yeah. I have the last line of Gatsby hand scripted on my wall like you know I have yeah, a whole Fitzgerald yeah. collection oh wow she got me that I was like oh my god now I get to go in and actually see the notes and the edits that he was making and like whole chapters cut out so literally you can see yeah. that yeah Oh, it's, that's that's incredible! I want to get my hands on a copy of that. That's, will, that sounds incredible. I will send you the link. It was to, like two hundred fifty bucks. Like, and it's a oh it's, oh great okay. It's like a big. It's a replica, right? Yeah. So it's a yeah. big. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, one of those. Oh, oh that, that's great! I thought for a moment I was going to have to date your ex girlfriend that she had the <laughs> she, she she had the hookup. But 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 if there's a link, that's that, 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 link. that's much yeah. that's much better. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, there's, I, I, we, we don't speak anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, uh, there's a clever Gatsby quote I should make there about you guys not speaking anymore about that we beat on boats against the past. But I can't I can't quite spot the joke in that. <laughs> yeah, that's literally the script on the wall. Yeah, perfect, uh, perfect, um, perfect. And I we should also point out since we're deep diving into Gen X that we both showed up wearing the same thing. The traditional <laughs> the traditional black yep. shirt yep. of the Gen perfect. X. Perfect. Perfect. Yep. There we go. I've got I've got my black my other black shirt on under, under my black <laughs> black hoodie. So, so yeah, perfect. So perfect. you're in medical school and you're writing, and this is what, like the late nineties? Mid to late nineties? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is like the web is just around. So like people don't remember back then you'd find those short story contests like magazines and zines and like right like 
You're yeah, sort of yeah, I, I, absolutely. And, and you would enter them by printing off your stories and mail it like like the lady at the post office. You, you know, I remember so clearly that like every time she'd be like, "Oh, more more short stories, is it?" <laughs> yes, yes, it's more it's more short stories. And uh, and and yeah, you're you're right. There was there was sort of nothing on the. You know, you know, like like we we kind of had the web. Like I remember being taught how to use yeah. email in my first week at university, but but there just wasn't this sense of um, just being able to find everything at the drop of a hat. So there was so much word of mouth of like, you, you, you know, my aunt would send me a clipping of here's a competition in the newspaper you should enter. You know, like like, yeah. like all of these, um, uh, and and even sort of getting like being informed of things like. Uh, I what what I had a couple of like tiny little successes like like I didn't you know these weren't big things but they were just enough to sort of like you know prod you on to keep going and probably the highlight of all of it was the um, the Times which obviously one of the big newspapers in Britain um, had had a competition for for young travel writers under the age of thirty five and uh, you had to write a little piece about a. a, a, a a, a city you'd, you'd been to, and then, um, but unbelievably, the prize for being a finalist was they took six finalists to Chicago from the UK to for four days to write a piece about Chicago, wow. and then yeah, and and so um, so I was a finalist for that, but like even getting the like getting the information for it, so. Um, I was out and I came home and my college roommate said, oh, someone called for you, uh, this woman, something about a newspaper and like a travel thing, like, like I don't know. And I was like, oh, I think I know what this is. Is that like, is there a message or a number? No, I don't think so. I think she'll probably, I think she'll probably just call again. <laughs> you know, and then of course you know so you call up the times and say uh, i think i've won a competition uh can you please take me to chicago and of course there's you know there's no one there that you know knows what you're talking about and, and you just have to wait and you just have to wait and like keep your keep your roommates off the phone because there's only one phone line and that's right. the only way that and and you know after three days of not letting any roommate near the phone and not leaving the the house um she calls and it's true and and you know but but yeah just that that world of um uh not not everything being immediately instantaneous yeah. on demand and i'm i you're i'm assuming your roommate was a guy because he took no note about anything just there was exactly a phone call. yeah yeah, yeah. It, 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 exactly someone called yeah and like, <laughs> I was like i kind of wish you just hadn't told me like, right. <laughs> like, like like not telling me this information would be better than telling right. me this fragments of nonsense it's one of the you know I, I talk about zine culture and sort of the literary culture that i came of age in in that 90s era one it was both amazing because there were all these sort of weird outlets popping up right zines and self-publishing and people putting out magazines and stuff that they wanted and like you would go down to the local coffee shop and like people would always have stuff tacked on a wall right with the little tear-offs and yeah. like well this looks like a thing and you yes. just sort of like send stuff out into this random world and like you know, I don't know if it's just a guy in his house or if this is like actually a thing. Like, yeah, um, yeah, it, it's always a peel box number somewhere, somewhere <laughs> unexpected. Yeah, yeah. Iowa. It's in like Iowa yeah. or Delaware here. Like, those are the places oh, where yeah. all that stuff is. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly—it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all.
This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Uh, so you're in medical school, you're sending these stories out, and when do you decide, like, well, that was a fucking terrible idea, I need to go do something else? <laughs> um, that happened in stages. So I, um, I, I worked for my, like, like your first year after, you, so, so medical school takes five years, and then your first year is sort of this compulsory kind of residence year. But again, you, you're so young because it's, you know, you started so early. So by the time I was 22, I was working as a doctor in the hospital, which seems kind of ridiculous in hindsight because, of course, you know, like some of that job, you know, you're telling people that their relative died or something. And genuinely at a time before I really knew anybody who had died or, or had had any any understanding of that. Um, so but but being undeterred by my lack of you know, worldliness, nonetheless, at the end of that first year, I'd started to do okay in like a couple of short story competitions and that thing in the Times. And so I took six months away from medicine to write my great book of literary short stories because what the world needed was a book of sort of like uh, great literary short stories by me that were clearly just, you know, pastiches homages or, or frank copies of, of Carver and, right. and, 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 and all the rest of it. And thank God the world didn't need those. Um, and, 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 and they didn't get published because otherwise I'm sure we wouldn't be sitting here talking today. <laughs> uh, uh, but one of them, one of them went through like a winding route of friends of friends and stuff and ended up with a, a, a film producer and we made a short film of it and that kind of did okay like in a you know again in a small short film you know short film festival kind of way but it led to um uh i got so i got a some work writing television uh in in, in the uk and you it was kind of kidding me yeah no 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 absolutely i mean i should preface it with like it wasn't the glory days of you know television uh you know it wasn't peak television and it wasn't the glory days of my writing but nonetheless um uh i i I got some 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 gigs and of course i didn't go back to medicine because you know i now had you know i had a job in london i was a fancy television writer um and what did your your folks say when you're like hey um, you know what i'm gonna do not be a doctor yeah yeah that wasn't that wasn't a big hit that that's (laughs) true that was uh, um uh um, I, th- I think it's, it's, it's worked out kind of okay now, but, but yeah, at yeah. that time, that, that, that wasn't the most popular choice. And then, um, <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, nothing really got made. One, one show got made, and it wasn't my show. It was one of those things where, I guess, the channel had bought this show from uh, a writer and parted company with him before I got involved, and then they had this... But it was funny because it was um, like Patrick Stewart was in it, and uh, it was he played like a, a government science investigator who each week had to solve a different science mystery. And I think because I had the medicine background, I think it was probably part of part of why I got that gig. Um, and you, you know, it came out and it, and it kind of did okay, I think. And then, but right around then was was when I lost my brother, and so that sort of like um, that really changed things. So I kind of. Um, uh, I sort of abandoned the, the TV writing and I went off to Thailand. I had a little bit of money saved, thankfully, from the TV writing. And so I spent sort of the best part of the year in Thailand. And then when I came back, 
Well, hang on. I just so yeah. you go to Thailand. So uh, so your brother passes away, and it, this is the, it's 2003, right? It's the it's the uh, big four. Yeah, four. yeah, yeah. But, it's, but it's, yeah. it is the tsunami that hits Thailand that like made it, it, national. It, it, exactly. Yeah. We yeah, saw yeah. All the, 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 So I have a, a lot of my friends go hang out, and like they spend lots of time in Thailand. Yeah. So why do you feel the need to go there for a year? Yeah, so so I definitely wasn't planning to go for a year. Um, uh, and what had happened was it got to about like it it it, it wasn't immediately afterwards. So, so so that thing happened on December the twenty sixth, and then we had a kind of um, it was tough because you know I mean it was tough in, in so many ways, but you know like identifying people's bodies was was tough, and 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 so 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 my brother's body wasn't released until until the March. Um, and and so once we'd had the funerals and, and, and all of that, I I definitely felt like you know he had been to Thailand quite a few times. He had liked it. He was just I mean he was just on vacation there, um, and I guess I felt slightly like I wanted to understand it more and I wanted to go and see what it's you know. Yeah. But also we had this, I went with his best friend and 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 what we told ourselves at the time was we were going to go and help rebuild Thailand because what what they needed was, uh, you know, a sort of lapsed doctor television writer who's in <laughs> terrible, terrible physical shape because yeah. that's who you need when, when, when you're building infrastructure. This is like the um, short stories, like the Thailand needs yeah, 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 exactly. the doctor going, TV writer. Exactly. I'm going to go and help Thailand. And of course, you know, I got there and, you know, Thailand had no, no need for me, which is as it should be. Um, but what we did get involved with was we went to, um, like, we went to the island where my brother was and uh, we found some people that were they were building a memorial garden, and we got we got involved in that. And you know, again, like you know, I probably felt at the time like we're building a memorial garden for all the dead people. What a wonderful thing! And of course, you know, with hindsight, you know, the person that you know I benefited from it tremendously, and right. and partly just from you know just doing, frankly, doing physical labor was way better than sitting in a room trying to think and write yeah. things. Um, but when also, did, I mean, the, when did you realize, when did you realize that you went to Thailand to try to work through this? Oh, like years and years yeah. later. So, so, so what had happened was I got, um, uh, when we got there, I got to know a couple of other people that, that had lost people. Um, you know, so, some people were Thai, some people were Australian. Um, and as I mentioned, like, you know, everyone in Scotland was very kind and sympathetic, but we just don't have tsunamis. No one, no one understood this experience yeah. and to be there amongst and you walked around this island and everyone had that experience you know they'd all lost you, you know terribly um and so 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 that sort of um with hindsight that was you know the most important the, the most healing thing for me that I, I think i could have done and then um i guess where i realized was like i came back after that time and i you know realized i couldn't go back to writing the television yeah. I'd, I'd been writing and so um so i went back to work as a doctor because that felt more more useful and uh you know and, and that again that same thing of like it's going to sound silly but not having to think too deeply because you know if you're in the emergency room you know yes obviously you're using your brain all the time but you're not sort of ruminating about right. you know you're putting out fires yeah, yeah yeah it is exactly exactly so you clock in you, you know you're going to be busy but it's it's uh it, it, it's work that you can do without you know questioning your own your own soul and your own yeah. existence of your like, like in a way that writing always is so um Do you feel like if, you were doing that because you also were like trying to find meaning right because like as a writer i know like a part of the reason i left journalism was like i don't know if this matters you know yeah. like yeah and, and i needed to find something that like that both combined the writing but also felt like i was making humanity better 
that, that I mean, I mean that 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 was exactly it. Like 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 it felt so sort of just decadent and indulgent to, to, to just be sort of you know and especially writing the kind of things that I was writing like the television at that time which yeah. was just super commercial um and then but what happened was you know I think as always it turns out the secret of life is balance isn't it so like <laughs> you, you know so, so 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 I went back to the emergency room I'm done with writing and of course you know, you know six months in I'm like wow I, I need to write I'm gonna <laughs> you know what, what am I gonna write yeah. um and uh, and I tried to write some some television, and it was all it all ended up being about you know death and yeah. about brothers dying and about sibling loss, and of course those aren't commercial television shows. Nobody yeah. no, no, no nobody wants those. Um, <laughs> and at some point, I just like, there was there was two things that happened. One was that like I felt like I, I'd always been very adamant I wasn't going to write about my brother. It just felt too yeah sore and and and, and too close. And it's um, yours, right? Like it's like this is not for the world. Right, like yeah, yeah, yeah. The world. Yeah, it, 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 exactly. So, but that thing happened. Of everything I wrote was about <laughs> it in one way or another, and I almost felt like just as a kind of creative exorcism. I just need to write this and get this out so I can move on to the next thing. And then the other sort of um, the, the 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 other part of it was um, this feeling of uh, just having like like losing losing memories and like forgetting things i felt like i was forgetting stories and that, like like people would say hey remember when you know us and your brother did this thing and i was like ah i do but it's that's already drifting away so so, so like just this record keeping i wanted to have a document of you know our, our lives together and so 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 i sat down writing it and it was it was never to be published that was never the idea like quite genuinely this was just yeah. this thing that i would have um and of course, you know, I spent quite a lot of time on it, and I showed, you know, a bit of it to to, to my then girlfriend. She was like, "Oh, you should, you know, really think about this. This is, you know, some good writing or whatever." And then I showed it to a couple of friends, and they all said, "Yeah, you should, should really do something with this." Um, and so, and so, so, so I kind of carried on. And by the time I felt like I'd said everything I wanted to say, it, it was kind of book length and book shape. And you know, I, I'd very much been like, "I'm not gonna. This isn't for that." But um, yeah, it, it turned out it was. Yeah, <laughs> it's a you know it's it's a weird thing writing nonfiction stuff, and and our stories are different. My family has been in Appalachia for three hundred and something years, and a lot of them were murdered, and you know I didn't know a lot of them, and all this stuff. And uh, I have this book, and it's strange because they are some of it is my story, but some of it's other people's story, right? Like even though it's yeah. through my lens, and I'm like that's uncomfortable. Um, yep. It also like just having to navigate lots of the sort of feelings that I have about the family and feelings that the culture will have about, you know, the family. Like, ah, that is it, like, it's a really difficult thing to go through when it's your real feelings, but there's these other things tied into it, right? Like your brother's not here to have his say in that story. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that there's other people so, like, as you say, like intrinsically involved in it. So, you know, of course, like my family are all in it, my parents yeah. are in it. And then, you know, but my brother's girlfriend died as well. So, you know, she's necessarily, you know, a part of it. And, and it's kind of a big thing to, you know, to decide that you're going to, you know, write about people with or kind of with or like, like, like I kind of got permission from everyone once I'd yeah. written it. I got permission from everyone that was like immediately like, you know, his girlfriend's family, my family. Um, and, and mostly, I mean, with one or two exceptions, like it's funny, the, the, the main, I don't know if this was your experience, but the main obje objection I ended up having was 
from people that weren't in it. You know, <laughs> well, because <laughs> they weren't in it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That 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 was the main um, the, 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 the main <laughs> issue, or, or that they weren't in it enough. You know, that like I thought I was more important in this story. You know, and and it was ne- it, of course they, that wasn't the exact phrase they used, but that right. was the yeah the, the, the feedback the, that you got was the story is missing a little flavor. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, it's, it's, is that the moment that you realize that you were a writer? Like when you did the book and you're like, oh, okay, so this is now, this is yeah. what my life is. I, 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 I think so. I mean, I think, you know, I think I'd probably always self-identified as a right. writer. And, I'd, and, and, you know, and I'd worked so hard. Like, like, like I think, you know, it's, it's always important to you know, just talk about, you know, all the misses and, and all the hard work that, right. that, that, that went before this. So, so I was probably, you know, 31, 32 when, when, when this book was, you know, starting to happen, you know, it was, was coming out and, and, you know, but, but that's it was, gotta it be was, a hard first book, right? Cause you also kind of feel like it's like, it's like, this is a story that's told because of something that happened, not because I was, right. Absolutely. Like, like, like I always said that like, I I felt like it was slightly cheating. Yeah, you know that just because, you know, in a way, it's if you send the query letter with that as the subject, right? The 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 agent sit up, you know, in in a way that if you say, you know, I've written a book of short stories, (laughs) from Scotland, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So that was that was definitely. Um, uh, something that, like, I didn't feel like I necessarily, you know, deserved it, especially, you know, especially from obviously where it all come from in the first place. Um, but it did, it got, it got incredible reviews, like, in, in, like, really, you know, sort of literary places. And one of them even, like, I think it was the Financial Times even said this really nice thing that, like, you know, Simon Stevenson probably feels, uh, you know, that he shouldn't, you know, he probably feels like this is cheating, like 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 something right. along those lines. But but he shouldn't. And I was like, that's so kind. Yeah. You know. So so um, and it did really well. And it, it won like a small prize in Scotland. And uh, I don't think that um, but that I was the main... moment that like once you were. Well, I guess what I mean is like clearly writing was a part of what you did, but the journey to get there where you're like, oh, I'm not. This isn't going to be a book. This isn't going to be a book. This isn't going to be a book. To like, oh, I've actually told something that's really important. Like, like once yeah. that comes out, like, is there any chance you're going back to medicine? Uh, I, I did. Did I, you I, really? I did. Yeah, you're yeah, a yeah, maniac, yeah. Simon. Yeah. You're a maniac. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was still. I mean, I, I was kind of still in medicine when when, when it came out, and uh, um, and I had changed careers. I'd gone. I always did the adult, the internal medicine. And at some point, probably a couple of years before the book came out, I decided that really the way to save the world was to be a children's doctor. So, 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 so I'd kind of basically gone back to the bottom of the residency ladder and was, was, was like fighting my, fighting my way through that. And then I probably carried on working for like, like a year. And I'd had this idea, I'm going to be, you know, because you read about those people and they're writers and doctors and, and they seem to manage. I was like, I'm going to be that guy. And of course, I, I can't be that guy. That's yeah. way too hard. That's a so, lot of work. Um, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I sort of plodded on for another year in medicine, and then I and then I quit again to write my to write my great novel. You know, you know that that was the plan. Was was I was and and partly, yeah. I felt like you know, real writers, you know, write novels. That's what they do. I now yeah. have to write the the great. It wasn't the great American novel at that point because I was living in London. It was the great the great yeah. British novel. Um, 
and I couldn't do it. Like, like, like I quit my job and I spent six months just, you know, bashing my head against the wall. And I started probably five or six different books and I got, you know, 10 or 15,000 words into each of them. And I just, it just wouldn't happen. And, you know, with hindsight, I think a lot of it was tied up in like that, the memoir about losing my brother had just felt like that was the important story that right. I would, that was the only important story I'd ever have to tell. And now what was the point in me just making something up? Right. right. Like, 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 and again, that sort of, it felt sort of self-indulgent or, yeah. or, or, or like un, un, unnecessary. And so, um, how long after the novel came out did you start, or the, the, the memoir come out that you started writing the fiction? Like, did you give yourself time to heal from both the writing of it, the success of finishing it, the sort of public facing, now I have to talk about my brother and me as a character and not as people. You know what I mean? Like, there's, yeah, yeah. I always call that, you know, it's the trauma of success is a thing that we don't talk about. Wow. I've, I've, I've never heard that phrase. And I think that's. I made it up. So I don't know if yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. I, 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 I think it's a great phrase. And, and it's funny because it's almost like, 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 because in a way, like, I, I guess the word I'm wondering about is success because. It, it really depends what your metric is because that book, I think, you know, it got these incredible reviews. It won this prize. I'm pretty sure it was mainly just bought by people I'm related to by blood, you know? And but we got to go to, I got to go to some book festivals and, and, and do some talks <laughs> and things. Um, so, 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 you know, I don't know if it maybe just the trauma of publication rather than yeah. the trauma Well, that's success. what I mean. Like this, whatever success is like, then like your next book, you're like, well, now what do I want? Like as people that write nonfiction going to fiction, like fiction, you have to figure out what you want to say. Nonfiction, yep. you're telling. I mean, in nonfiction, there are themes and things that you're exploring, but like the events are the events, and so yep. a large part of those things write themselves because you're like, well, here's what happened. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know the materials I have to work with. Yeah. How do I build this house? Yeah. Where, and then where, like, where is? Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to take a deep dive into my own feelings and what it all means. But you know, that's twenty percent of it. You know, eighty percent of the foundation is laid already. Yeah. Whereas a novel yep. is like. What Black are you going to do? Yeah. And you're like, yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that was like, I, I think with those ones, I mean, I mean, there was a bit of time because of course, you know, there's by the time you know your book's going to be published, it probably doesn't come out for another year. And then, yeah. you know, right. there's, 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 there's a year of, of the press and stuff. Um, but I didn't really, I, I think partly, you know, there's this thing about that lots of second novels are bad, and it's kind of for this exact reason that, that you spend 15 years writing your opus, your first yeah. book, and then three months later, it's time to deliver the second book, and people just <laughs> just, 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 just have to have, yeah. have, 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 have to bash that out. So, um, and it's it's the second album phenomenon, right? Like somebody has yeah. a great first album, and the second one is like something com completely different, and fans are like, well, we don't like the different. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Because the first is the distillation of you, yeah. you know everything, and everything. that's that, that's what people have responded to. Yeah. And it's like, okay, now do something different. You, yeah. you know, now 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 build on that very yeah. quickly. What so, else do you got um, for us, writer? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, so I didn't. Um, I, I guess yes. Yeah, so, so probably a year after that book came out, I was you know wow. struggling to write these things, and and kind of everything had sort of started to go like fairly spectacularly wrong. So the relationship I had been in for a long time had ended. I was, you know, I had quit my job in medicine. Um, I'd moved into my friend's apartment and I was living in his small spare back bedroom. And it just, it just, what that wasn't, that, that wasn't peak Simon Stevenson. That, that wasn't, wasn't a great moment. Um, and, you know, I would 
try, cycle off to the British Library every day and lock myself in to, you know, write this great, you know, novel. And, and with hindsight, you know, I was probably in the grips of, you know, certainly some kind of depression, wasn't yeah. possibly even a major depression. Um, and uh, my friend that I was living with kind of took me out for coffee and said, Luke, you know, this, this, it doesn't seem like you're winning, you know, and, and, uh, you know, great novels, sure. But you know what? I remember when you were doing screenwriting and you were much happier and it seemed kind of much more, much more instantaneous. Like, like it didn't seem to take you years to, to, to write yeah. something. And I was like, well, you don't know what you're talking about because I'm writing the great novel and this is, this is, this is how it works. That's the and most so writerly answer ever. Yeah, yeah. It, Fuck it, it, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so I probably plodded on for like another month before I realized he was right. He, he was absolutely right. And You had to so, make the so, answer your own. He didn't tell you. You came to figure it out yourself. Exactly. He, he was actually incorrect at that time. And <laughs> although it was subsequently correct later, that doesn't mean he was correct then. You know, That's hundred percent. That yeah. is a good friend right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, um, so yeah, so, 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 so I turned back to writing screenplays and I, I could write again. Like, 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 like I think because the, you know, the weight of expectation and, you know, this is what I'm supposed to be doing and it's supposed, you know, it's supposed to be so serious and my other book was so serious. And, 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 and I actually just, you know, started writing, writing screenplays. And, um, one of them that I wrote was, um, about, a, a depressed children's doctor who hates his job and desperately needs a change. And, I don't know where I got the where I got the idea it's from. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. It popped into my head like magic, right? Um, and uh, and that one took a sort of like a convoluted turn of events in the you know and and just you know just to show other people that you know really nobody knows anything. Um, I gave that to I still had a screenwriting agent somehow, and I gave it to him, and he called me up and said, "Can you come in and talk about this?" And I said, "Sure," because it's so good. I can come in and yeah, do my victory lap. And so I went in and, uh, and he said, yeah, we just, I just don't see this. I, I don't think, you know, and I was like, okay, that's fine. You, you know, I'll send you the next one. And, uh, and he said, no, I just, I, I don't think we should work together anymore. Cause I really don't, don't, don't see this. And, uh, of course, like, you, 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 <laughs> that's a terrible you, you victory know, lap. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a terrible bit victory lap. And, and, and there's, there's really, it's really a bad position to be in as a writer to, you know, have been dropped by your agent and have a pile of script because that just means that you then have to go to all the other agencies and sort of knock on the window and like, you know, wait, can, can you, can you let me in? And they're like, well, why did your, why did your other agent, you know? So, but, and, and and genuinely, I felt like this script was the best thing I'd ever written. Like, like and, I, and I was so like, you know, and, and I was sort of puzzled by it. And I gave it to a few friends and they're all like, yeah, like the, this is, I think there is something here. And uh, I was like, okay, so, you know, things sort of, you know, I found another agent and, you know, she sent this script out a bit in London and people liked it, but it was set in America. So it was, you know, no one knew what to do with it. And then. I was coming to my friend's wedding in Oregon. I had a friend from Scotland, so I have a friend from Scotland who lives in Oregon. And I was going to his wedding. And the agent said, look, why don't you stop off in Los Angeles on the way? I know a couple of people. No one's going to want your stupid script. But, you know, I can send it to them. And, uh, you know, you can maybe get a meeting or two and, like, just get a feel for, well, yeah, for like... See what happens. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and somehow between, like, getting on the plane to Los Angeles and getting off it this incredible thing happened where my life changed. So um, 
I guess the real power, the only people that read scripts in Hollywood are the assistants, right? And so the assistants have these like secret message boards where where they post about scripts they've read. And so so the person that she sent my script to, their assistant read it whilst I was on the plane, apparently, and posted on the board, hey, here's a good script. You guys would like it. And suddenly, like, I got off the plane, like, you know, I couldn't get arrested in London, like, and I got off the plane to, you know, more emails than I've ever had, like, like asking, you know, kiss my ass. Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And then, and I had, you know, the most, the most glorious two weeks of my life, you know, you know, having the, having the hot script in, in, in Los Angeles and like, you know, so, so, so all these nobody knows things. who you are, right? Like, like, as far as they're concerned, you're just somebody that got off a plane. I'm a doctor from Scotland. Like, 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 it's, it's, it's completely ridiculous. And so all, but all these things happen. So, so like, um, like someone from the big agencies come and, you know, they take you out for lunch and they were determined they were going to take me up in a zero gravity plane. They were like, we're going to get you in a zero gra- gravity plane next week. And, and I kept saying, why? And they said, well, well, for research, you know, for writing. So, so, and I was like, you know my script's about a depressed doctor, right? And they're like, yeah, but maybe your next one is about space. You know, and I think I think they were just you know they were just trying to show me how how powerful they were. And right. thank God we didn't we we, we we didn't have to do that. And um, uh, you, you know, and of course you you know all these amazing things are happening. You know, you're you're writing the next ten Star Wars movies, and you know Tom Hanks is going to be in your script, and David Ross is going to direct it. And needless to say, none of that comes true. Right. L- 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 like literally none of it. Um, but it did mean like I got a I got a, a gig to write a sitcom pilot for ABC. Um, which um, kind of came with, you know, basically opportunity to, to live in the United States. And I was staying, I, I had one friend that lived in Los Angeles and I'd been staying on his couch. And the day before I was supposed to fly home, he said, why, why, why are you going home? And I was like, well, I mean, I don't have a job there. I don't, you know, have a girlfriend there. I don't have uh, really anywhere to live apart from my friend. Yeah, why, why, why am I going home? Like, like, that doesn't make any sense. Why, why, why am I going home? So... Um, so so I stayed and 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 he, here I still am. Um, it, was it out of that that you ended up doing some work with Pixar? Yeah. So 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 so, so this is one of the best bits of the whole thing. Now um, uh, I have to be careful because my 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 girlfriend's a big believer in the in the rule of attraction. Look, and and she's she she's here in, in next door. So, um, but that script that I about the depressed doctor. The story is he goes to a conference in San Francisco. And, San Fra- and that changes his life because San Francisco is this, you know, he's always wanted to go to San Francisco. He's never been, which was my story. Like, like, like I wrote the thing based on, you know, reading about San Francisco on the internet in the British library. And, and, and again, it ties into writing because I, you know, I'd been really into the beat generation. And when I was 15, I'd imagined I'm going to be, you know, living in San Francisco as a writer right. by the time I'm yeah. in, in, in my I mean, I lived there for five years. I get it. Right, absolutely yeah. right. It's the dream. So, so, but in my first, like that first couple of weeks, um, yes. So, 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 Pixar want to meet, which is incredibly exciting. So, so you go to meet them in, you know, the fanciest hotel you've ever been to or I've ever been to in my life. Um, and before, like we sit down, and she, the, 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 there's an incredibly talented uh, couple of producers there that, that, that hire the writers, and, and they really know their way around writing brilliantly. And um, and she said, look, before we start, there's just one question I have to ask, and it kind of dictates of like whether this is of interest to us or not. And I was in my head, I was like, "Oh dear, they found me out. It's not my <laughs> script at all that people like. It's oh, some terrible misunderstanding. There's some other guys written a script about a depressed doctor that they love." Um, 
and she said, so, 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 so just to be clear, um, is there any way uh, you could ever come and live in San Francisco and write a film for us? And of course, I realized, yes, yes, right. me, I, please, please, I can go now. Let's go now. Right. I'm happy to let to go to San Francisco right, right so now. So you get some hardcore negotiating. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So take me, take me. And then, but, but, but then the, the, the funny part is how it works at Pixar is actually, um, like, that's kind of like the entrance exam. Like, yeah. like, 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 like if, they, if they like your stuff, that's great. But then there's this weird matchmaking, not weird, it's very sensible, but this matchmaking process where each of their movies is director-driven. So what they look for is they look for a writer that fits with the director that's making a certain movie. And obviously they don't make all that many movies. So like over a period of years, I would go to San Francisco and, you know, meet with the director and, you know, pitch my ideas. And, you know, it was always, it was always great. It was always very productive, but it was, it was never quite the fit they felt. And of course I was like, no, that was a fit. You know, I can, I can tell you that, 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 that was definitely, I can I know make that this fit. work. Yeah. 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 That was, that was a fit. Um, and then, so, so, but finally after a few years of that, we, we did find the fit and uh, um, yeah. So, but again, like it just all goes to, you know, that, you know, a script which my then agent dropped me over. And, right. and, and that's not shade on, on that agent. It's yeah. just, I, I think just to, just to say to people, you know, that if you, if you, you know, if you believe in something, don't necessarily just take the first voice that tells you. I mean, if everyone's telling you no and all your friends are saying this, this isn't your best stuff, then yeah. it's fair. But, you know, and, you know, we I talk about it on the show all the time, like the business of writing is different from writing, right? Like if you don't want to be in the business of writing, you can find small presses and things like that where you can be experimental and do what you want. And like all that's great. And that's writing. And like I don't put it on different tiers. But like if you want to be this commercial thing doing this stuff, like there's a mechanism that you got to get into and you're not going to change it. But yeah. You yeah. are going to have to just figure out, like, is this a thing that I really want to do? And there is a great skill set to that. Like, it yeah. is, you know, people, you know, it's, that ain't selling out, man. Like, Pixar makes good movies, and it's not an oh, accident, uh, you know? Like, uh, uh, oh, oh, yeah, they, they, I mean, I mean, I mean they, are, they, they are brilliant. And I mean, but I would definitely say that, like, in terms of that business thing, I'm definitely not great at the business of screenwriting. Well, this and is I, and I, I would do a lot. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I would do a lot better if I was. You know, yeah. you know, because I sort of partly I think there's like a British sort of, you know, self-deprecating thing that that like. So, so I know for a fact that like you know, I'll, I'll, someone will send through some assignment, you know, some job to adapt some book or something, and I'll go to the meeting. And I'll literally list like the ten reasons why I'm the wrong person for the job, and <laughs> you, you, you know that if they can't find anyone better, then sure, come back to me. But you know, he, here are the challenges. And I know that the Americans are all going in and saying, "I'm the greatest writer for this job, and here's why." And their version is much healthier. Like that's that's, yeah, that's what of, you do. Know, kind of because I think what makes I think what makes a writer happy, like at the end of the day, even when I talk to people that have sold like six million books and you know yeah. they're doing whatever it still has to be something that you want. It still has to be a story you want to tell, right? It sure. still has to be yeah. something that you have some emotional connection to because you can, you're a writer. I'm a writer. Like I can, you can watch something and go, well, they, they didn't, the people putting this together didn't give a shit about this. Like they had other interests at heart. Yeah. This, so, 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 so this, this is my huge thing with the movies is that like, and I never know the exact word for this, but be, because you so often see it that like, it's a brilliant pitch, you, you know, like you can see the movie in the head, in your head when you hear the pitch. It's got a great cast and 
it just doesn't work. And 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 what's missing, I think, is heart and soul from yeah. the writer. Yeah. Like, 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 and, and it's so, as you say, it's so apparent when someone really believes in something or is telling a, an emotional story. Yeah. And actually, at Pixar, I think that's kind of... Uh, this is It's what they secret. do great. Yeah, yeah. But, but where it comes from is the way that all their movies are director-driven, the origin of the movie has to be that... Um, it's got to stem from an emotional story that, that the director wants to tell. Yeah. So, so, so for instance, the, the, I think the classic example is the director of uh, uh, Finding Nemo um, became a parent and found that he was a very protective parent, it, an overprotective parent, and kind of wanted to explore the emotion yeah. of that. And, 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 and I think that we do feel that when we watch that movie way more than if they'd just got someone who didn't really care about that subject, who was, you know, said, right, write a movie about, right. you know, an overprotective parent. Like, it just, right. it's just not the same if there isn't that heart. So, and because at the end of the day, like, I'm not a screenwriter, but I know what beats are. Like, I'm a professional sure. writer, and it's like, well, yeah, I can get to the beat and in the twist and the next thing. But there is something about having that story. And it's why, you know, why you feel like a cheater telling your first book and struggle yep. so much with the next one. It's like, well, what is the thing? I guess that was what I was trying to get to. What is the thing that I want to say? The first thing was, this thing happened and what does it mean to me? And the second book is, what, what's the story that I want to tell? And that is a really hard fucking question for writers to Much answer. Much harder, definitely. I think particularly after the first one, if there is whatever the metric of success is, you then feel, well, I have to do that again and it has to be, you know, Die Hard 2 can't be a smaller movie than Die Hard 1. <laughs> right, right, exactly, you know, exactly. Yeah, it can't yeah. be a character study in John McClane's marriage. Yeah, like, that sure. can't yeah, be yeah, Die yeah, Hard yeah. 2. Yeah. And, 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 and then there's the problem, right? It's, so, so the next Fast and Furious film is going to be set in space because yeah. they just, that, that's, that's... It's they the have, logical to keep escalating. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I will, I will say, though, uh, Hobbs and Shaw was great. I, that's the oh, first right, Fast yeah. and Furious that I've ever seen. I've never seen any of them, and I saw this and thought, well, i got to go watch all this shit. Like, this oh, is hey, wow. insane. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have to say, I, I, I watched the first couple of, of the Fast and Furious, and I, I enjoyed them, and, and yeah, I kind of probably got a, a bit burnt out of it. Uh, but I haven't seen Hobbs and Shaw, so that's a good recommendation. I, will, I mean, uh, it's The Rock, Jason Statham, yeah, and Idris yeah. Elba. Like, I'm brilliant. Yeah, it's really hard. There. It's hard to get three more. Like, it's hard to get three more dudes brilliant. being dudes. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> three guys. So all of this brings us to where we are now, which is you finally got to that novel. Finally, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 and and finally is right. You know, and again, I think that's the the, the big lesson of that is that. You know, when this one, when it came time to write this one, it it was just a, a world of different experience from 10 years ago, sitting in the British Library, you know, tearing my hair out over something that clearly wasn't wasn't coming at that time, you know? Um, uh, so, so, yeah, this one, I am, I've been, or, or like ever since, you know, ever since the first book, I'd had this nagging, you know, I need to write my novel. I need to, right. need to write my novel. And I was so lucky that I got this other thing in screenwriting and, you know, was able to support myself and earn my living and stuff. Um, and then as kind of the job at Pixar was sort of winding down, um, like I really was beginning to feel this is, it's time. It's time for, yeah. the, for, 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 for the next, you know, it's time to write a novel. And I sort of, living in the Bay Area had done these two, these, these, these two things to me. One was that it felt so... Uh, so much like we were living in the future because, you know, of course, you know, every second person you meet is working for some tech yeah. thing. And, and often like, it's like some horrific tech thing. So it's like, you, you, you know, they're yeah. working for a startup and you're like, that's great. What's your, what's your startup? And they're like, it's at home cremation. 
Yeah. And you're like, okay, is that is that really something that we need an app for? Like, and, like, like, and they're like, 24, and you're like, didn't, where are your parents? Yeah, like, what's yeah, happening? It, 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 it's, exactly. Who, 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 who are the adults here? Yeah. Um, so, so, and I think as a society, we're, we're uh, you know, the, the the 2010s, I think, you know, were this period of rapid sort of modernization or futurization or something, yeah. you, you know. Um, so, 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 so I kind of felt like I wanted to explore that a bit. And then my day job, you know, Pixar really is a, a, a laboratory for emotion in film. Like they spend so much time thinking about it and working on it. It's not an accident that their movies work so well in that regard. Um, and so this has never really happened to me before where like normally if I have an idea, I have to like sweat it out and beat it into shape. But, you know, so, so I was kind of casting around for like, an idea that was about the near future, that was about emotion. I kind of, I sort of wanted to write about some of my more ridiculous experiences in Los Angeles, but I felt like, you know, William Goldman did that so well. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and you know, the Hollywood satire is kind of, yeah. you know, yeah. you know we, 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 we've seen it a lot. And um, uh, at some point, uh, one Saturday afternoon, this idea of, of a, a screenwriting Android popped into my head. And like, for the difference between that and every other idea I've had was this one. I was like, Oh, that's my novel. That's what, that's what I'm going to do. That's, um, and, and sure. Like, like from there, it's still a huge journey and all the rest right. of it. But I, I always felt like I would, I would get it done in a way that, you know, with those six other failed novels, I, I, I hadn't ever yeah. really, you, you know, with those, I'd been like, well, I'll set out and see what happens. And with this one, I was like, no, I, I know this, this, I'm going to write this. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it's whenever I, you know, work with young writers or whatever, this is, I mean, it's what I've said today. Like the writing is the easy part. It's the knowing what you want to write. That's the hard part because you have to really like, you have to, you know, there's good ideas, but that's not a yeah. book, right? Like sure. a, yeah. an idea mm -hmm. isn't a story. An idea is just yeah. a fleeting thought that you have. And you know, you, I think as writers, you start to delve into that and you're like, I don't have nearly as many deep thoughts and cares as I thought I did. <laughs> you know, like as you sit yeah, down, yeah. Right, you're like, oh, most of this can be distilled in a 700 word column. Like, this yeah. is not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, 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 but, 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 which I think so much of that, you know, and some of that's always true, but also I think so much of that probably goes down to just confidence and, 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 and like, mm -hmm. you, you know, cause when you start to question your idea, you say, well, maybe this isn't a brute, maybe this is a, you, you know, a column, maybe this yeah. is just a joke I tell my friends. And, uh, <laughs> um, uh, but, and, and, and I think if, if I had to put like the big difference between me sitting down to write a novel in 2017 and, you know, 2011, 2012, um, I think it was mainly confidence. I, I, I think it was like you were saying that thing about when did I decide I was a writer? I think we all question that like yeah. on a daily basis. On a daily right? basis. Like, yeah. like, like, uh, and I think, but I think that somehow having had the job at Pixar, like was this mm. super validating thing for me where I was like, Oh, I, I am a writer. Like, like, like that's, yeah. you know, that's, that's a real thing. Cause um, it was and, external and not, to the, it was external to the novel. It actually came out of a failed thing. Like they actually wanted you. Yeah, 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 and and not that any writer should should need that. Like we you, all you, need you, that. You, you, yeah, Every yeah, you should, sure, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I guess we do. We do all need some some validation and, and encouragement. But but, but I, I guess I'm just saying, you know, if anybody listening, if if, if you haven't, you know, worked in Pixar, right. it doesn't mean that you're not ready to write the novel. It's oh, just, 100 you know, percent. Yeah. Just you know, and and maybe there's some sort of like. <clears throat> Yeah, it's some confidence trick I could have learned, you know, back in 2012 and, and had a novel out a lot sooner, you know? It, I, it's so funny because if somebody comes up to you and says, oh, I'm a writer, 
like your first response is always like, ah, fuck, whatever, fuck you. You're not <laughs> right. Like it, this career is so weird because it is, it both, like you said, needs confidence and you have to have a thing to say, which is inherently narcissistic as it is to think I have yeah. a thing that needs to be said. But also when somebody has that confidence and tells it to you, you're like, Oh no, you're not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. You're not right. would yeah. never say that. Yeah, yeah. One one of my um one one of my favorite experiences in this is the um uh, the Writers Guild of America Christmas party here in Los Angeles the holidays party uh, because it's amazing there's just not enough corners in the room like <laughs> you know you just go and it's literally like we're all just lined up around the walls of the room checking our phones you, yeah. you, you know no one's talking to each other and then like you know by the time people have had two or three drinks suddenly you, you know we're, we're starting some conversation but it's it's the most awkward room of people in the entire nation. It's yeah, amazing. It's, it's, I call rooms of rattlers the middle school dance, right? Like all the girls are on that, one side, that, that's all the boys exactly are on one it. side. And that finally, exactly yeah, yeah. finally one group of girls or something runs out onto the floor and then that starts the dance party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, exa- <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, that's exactly, exactly well, what it is. Simon, this has been great. Like it is, I loved our pre-call, but like this, it's just so wonderful to talk to you about this. Um, and I've had book, such a great time. The book is... Uh, what is it? Set her heart to fire. It's, it's, it's called set, set my heart to five. Set my heart to fire. Oh, to yeah. Five. Yep. Yeah. To five. Yeah. In my head, I have this as fire and I don't know why. So, 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 so unfortunately, <laughs> um, I think I know why is that, um, like pretty much the exact week that the book came out and I'm so oh, proud God. of my title, like, like, uh, um, but I guess there's, there's a musician called, I think called perfume genius, very popular these days, like not much grunge there, so so it's not really my yeah, thing. Out of our but, thing, but yeah, 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 yeah. But but Perfume Genius had a record, an album that came out that same week called "Set My Heart on Set My Heart oh. on Fire" immediately. Immediately, it was called, and it got like you know like the best review Pitchfork have ever given anyone <laughs> ever in the history of music. So, uh, so, but it seems like great company to be in. So, so, it does, so I'm, and it also feels like the most writer thing ever. Like I spent my whole life working on this thing, and then something with nearly the same title comes out the same week. Classic, <laughs> absolutely. My, my, my name is uh, Simon Stevenson with a PH, and there's there's a playwright in Britain called Simon Stevens, also with a PH, and he's brilliant. And uh, not so rarely, I'll get emails from my friends congratulating me on my latest play that that they loved, and I have to write back and say I'm sure it's brilliant. However. Not me. What you got to do is you you need to get some media folks if they accidentally think they're trying to get him and it's you. Do the interview. Promote your work. Yeah. I worry I'd be like, though, um, there was a great thing a few years ago on on BBC News where where they got... um, they accidentally interviewed like an Uber driver about the future of technology. Like, cause he was, he was sitting in the waiting room and they went out and said, is, is guy here? And he's sort of, and, but, but bless him. Like he just tried to, he styled it out, you, you know, cause they were like, what do you think will happen? He's like, well, I think it's really hard to say. And you, you know, we hope it goes the right way. Uh, did, did people know at the time or did they not know till later? Uh, they didn't know during the live broadcast, but like it was like the main story on the news that night because he just it was so charming. It was That's the, brilliant, and it also things. goes to tell us like I used to work at Wired, so like the fact that people interviewed him and he was able to just do the bullshit, and they're yeah, like, yeah. "Thanks for your insight." Like, uh, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but will you guys enjoy the rest of your time away from Los Angeles? I can't wait to pick up the book, and uh, I hope we can stay in touch and do this again. I, I hope we do. This was great fun. Thank you so much for having right. me. I really enjoyed it. You too. Cheers. Well, there you have it. That was Simon Stevenson, whose book, Set My Heart to Five, 
not fire, that I kept trying to say, came out last September. I have already put my order in for that book. It sounds like an amazing escapist book, which is the kind of thing we all need right now. And if I do say so myself, that's a pretty damn good first week back here in the bunker. I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as Simon and I liked having it. It actually took us three or four times to make that happen. Weirdly, because each of us had separate jackhammering issues in our apartment. That is a story for another time. Before we get out of here, just a couple reminders. If you like what you heard, do us those two favors I talked about at the top of the show. Leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can pop on over to our Facebook page, leave us a review there, or leave us a testimonial on our website and tell your friends about us. And while you're at it, don't forget to check out the other programs on the Solid Listen Podcast Network, including the flagship Mother May I Sleep With podcast with host and our Solid Listen podcast queen, Molly MacLear. Throughout the rest of January, we'll be bringing you new episodes every Monday and Thursday. And starting in February, we're moving the jam to Wednesdays. So get yourself subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss out. And remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at The Writer's Jam. Until the next time, we'll see you around the internet. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.